0: I would say the world needs to hear the fact that the breakdown of the family and the lack of a father in the family is the biggest epidemic in our world today, and that we collectively need to work together to create education and experiences to end the cycle of fatherlessness. And um, there are many organizations like mine that are out there doing this work and that um, it needs to be pulled to the forefront, and we need investment of time, talent, and treasure to make this impact in this next generation to change the future of our world and to end the cycle of fatherlessness. And if we do that, we will live in a more productive, successful, happy society, and we'll change the generations to come. Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life?
1: Okay. Welcome back to the ultimate shift. Today we have Justin Batt, who is an entrepreneur, a writer, a coach, a speaker, TEDx speaker, and well, what do you really not do? We've <laughs> got a lot of things stuff. going on. So tell us a little bit about you. Who's Justin Bat, and how did you get to where you are today?
0: Well, thank you. That's a big question. I grew up in a small town in Ohio. It was home of the Etch-A-Sketch and the Dum Dumb Sucker. So two things everybody knows. I always like to start with that. I'm not going to tell you my whole story by going back to the beginning, but that's my claim to fame. So I grew up in Midwest Ohio. Went to Clemson University. It was a Tiger. Just so came south for school. Met my wife there. And uh, shortly thereafter, went into the corporate world, was in corporate pharmaceuticals for about a decade plus. And my wife was a teacher. She started a bridal boutique about a year and a half into our marriage. We had our daughter at the same time. And we named the bridal boutique Hayden Olivia Bridal after our daughter. So she was the entrepreneur. I was the corporate guy. And uh, just found ourselves a couple of years later. She couldn't keep her hands off of me. So we had four kids at that point <laughs> and about eight years. And I progressed a lot in my career, was traveling quite a bit, um, all across the country and and having to go to New Jersey and the East coast for work. And I I found this tension between work and home that most men experience in the home, right? When they're trying to balance that time between work and travel and the kids and marriage and all the different things going on. And just had this, this time on a Saturday when I had been spending every Saturday literally with my kids for eight or 10 hours to my wife working at her store. She's in retail. So that was my contribution of, of helping support her was just being a dad to our kids on Saturdays. And God just kind of shook me up a little bit. He said, Justin, blessing or burden, inconvenience or assignment, those Saturdays are your choice. Which mindset are you going to have? And so I began planning our days together on Saturdays, being intentional, spending 15, 30 minutes ahead of the Saturday and ordering the whatever we need to do our activities and try to make this epic time with my kids. And what I found was that um, it changed everything. It changed our relationship, changed our dynamic, our communication, even my relationship with my wife. Um, kids in the neighborhood, others started to take notice of it. And so um, we decided to name it and claim it. One of my kids called it Daddy Saturday, and that was born. And so we had other kids in the community come over, some YouTube videos. And then um, I was asked about three and a half years ago to give a TEDx on fatherhood. And I talked about the fatherlessness epidemic, and I learned about the burden in our country. 24 million kids in America don't have a biological dad living in the home. But millions more will have a dad who's physically present, but he's emotionally absent. And man, that has hit me deep. And I said, I've got to do something about this. And I have something. I've got Daddy Saturday, which is a, a tool, a pathway to help other dads um, be intentional, be engaged, and to end the fatherlessness epidemic. So that set us in the journey to where we are today. And it's it's expanded quite a bit since then. Um, our kids at this point have been married 16 years, have four kids, 13, 11, 9, and 7. Um, and publishing full-time is kind of my day job, I help authors um, write write publish books. And then manage the Daddy Saturday Ministry and and do lots of other fun stuff like Spartan races on the
1: side. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So, no longer in corporate world. What about the corporate world did you feel like was was not a good fit for you?
0: You know what's interesting? Because I'm very thankful for my time in the corporate world. I learned a ton, especially when I, I started with Pfizer when I came out of school. And to get a job at Pfizer at that time was harder to get in Pfizer than it was to get into Harvard MBA school. It's like 4% of the people got in. It was like the thing to do. And I was very, very fortunate. Um, I learned an absolute ton, got an advanced MBA, if you will, on a very short time frame. But what I found was that I'm a challenger by nature. So my Enneagram is an 8. I'm 99.5% 8 for those that are familiar with the Enneagram. And when you think about the constraints of a corporate environment, that goes against every bit of who I am. So I found myself constantly challenging paradigms, challenging rules or challenging the way that things were done. And um, a lot of times it created great success for me in that corporate space because I was the one that was trying to break through barriers and change things. And so I had great success, but at the same time, personally, it left me very unfulfilled. And I just found that the entrepreneurship route was a far better fit for who I am. Because I could go break things all day long and rebuild them and fix things and scale companies, and uh, that's exactly what my DNA, my matrix was. So thankful for the foundation it gave me, but I think long term for my personality and my, my long term hopes and goals and dreams, being an entrepreneur is a much better fit.
1: Nice. So when you were a kid growing up, you had a father. I did. So so what what about this the fatherness thing? You wrote the book called uh, Daddy Saturday. You know, what drove that? Where did that start? Why? I guess the question is, why do you care so much about that particular subject?
0: Yeah. So when I really got into the space, started to examine my role as a father for my own kids and how I could become a better, more intentional, more engaged father and the legacy that ultimately wanted to live. I recognized the fact that a lot of what I was doing with my kids was passed down to me from my dad and passed down to him from his dad. Right. And, and many disciples looking upstream, there's not a lot of positive pieces there. Many of us did not have very engaged and intentional dads. There's a lot of fatherlessness, abandonment, abuse, things like that, that are upstream in our, in our families. And my dad was a great dad. He's very intentional. He spent a ton of time with me, but my dad was very results based. And so my performance in the field, he lives through me. And so I'd get love and affirmation from my dad based on my performance. And if I didn't perform well or up to his standards, then he wouldn't be at home after a game or he wouldn't talk to me after a game. And as a young child, he's crushed me. And so I recognized my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with my dad, my relationship in my my early life and my career and striving for things was all based on that role my father had in my life. And so I, I examined myself and said, man, think about the direction of my 20s and 30s and how so much of that was spent trying to prove myself to my dad and other people based on that. Like, I don't want that same thing for my kids. I want to break that barrier. But also, I recognize how important it is, not only for myself, but for all fathers, to be intentional, to be engaged, and to create that legacy for our kids. Because our impact is huge on our children. And if we don't, if a child doesn't have a father figure in their life, then how do we help them get a, a or doesn't have a father in their life, how do we help them get a father figure in their life so they can bump up against that? So they have somebody, a coach, a teacher, a mentor, right? They can give them that a long tail of what a father looks like.
1: So where's the balance in between if, if you had to go back in the corporate world or someone came to you and was like, hey, Justin, you know, I'm working in the corporate world or it doesn't have to be the corporate world, but they're working a busy job, someone that's taking a lot of their time. How do you build your career successfully and be that income earner maybe, you know, that you want to be as a, as a dad, as a, as a man? In the family, um, doesn't mean you have to be the only income earner, but that's it. I think it's put in every man to, to go out there and build something, right? So, where do you draw the line or how do you balance that? If someone said, Hey, I, you know, I'm putting all my time in the work, I'm, maybe I'm building a new company, maybe I'm just trying to climb the ladder of my career. And the kids, you know, how did, how did you, you said you started with Saturday. Does it take more than a Saturday? Does it take, You know, how did you start to to kind of balance that aspect of your life?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's probably the number one question that I get. And I do a lot of coaching with with men and with executive men. And that's the one thing they come to me and they often ask is, help me manage this tension, right? Things are out of control. The wife may not be happy. The kids aren't happy. You got it, right? And so one of the things that that oftentimes when they come to me, the question is, how do I achieve balance? And I say balance is a myth. You'll never find balance. It's about understanding what the tension is, managing the tension, identifying those trigger points. And so there are gonna be times in life where you think of it like a rope, right? That rope's gonna get stretched really tight and you're, you're stressed at home, you're stressed at work, you got a lot going on. And for most of us, that's pretty much all the time. But that tension's always gonna be there. It's kind of like a tug of war though, is which direction is it going? There's points in life where it's gonna go back and forth and it may go the direction of work for a period of time. You're launching a new company, you have a huge project that you're working on. That's okay, right? For a period of time, that's okay. But when it gets out of, out of whack to the point where it's so lopsided that your family's over here in the distance and you're on the other side of it, and you're so focused on work that you're not um, maintaining the, the, the tension at home, then that's where things start to fall apart. And so I always look at it and say, what are those trigger points? And I'm very self-aware in understanding um, the tension that I'm experiencing between all those areas. And if I start to feel tension at home, then I start to say, okay, is it because I'm spending too much time at work? It's because I'm not communicating. Like what's causing the tension, right? If I have tension with my kids. Oftentimes it's because of my own insecurities. Like I'm feeling like I'm not there enough to spend the time with them. I'm not spending quality time. The time we have together is kind of disorganized. So for me, then it's like, okay, we need to have that grounding of a daddy Saturday or need to grab one of them for a one-on-one time or do a daddy-daughter date night with my daughter. Right? I just, I'm so attuned to the tension now that I can feel that. I um, mean, the same thing happens. If I'm at work and I'm feeling the tension of I need to be at home, then I got to examine that and say, why is that, right? What's causing that tension? And so it's a, it's a balancing act of managing the tension. It's never a job of achieving balance because it doesn't happen. Like it's always going to be a back and forth. And so it's understanding the fact that that's reality. So now how do we manage that tension and be aware of what it is? And for me, that's that's caused extreme success. I'm a big time blocker. I believe you have to be organized and you have to put your business calendar and your personal calendar together. You cannot have them separate. And I think that's what causes a ton of tension for people is they feel like they have to, they live in two different worlds. And so they have business meetings, they have business events, and they have that on their calendar on paper on purpose, but then their family life isn't scheduled like that. So I physically put daddy-daughter date night on my calendar. It's at 5.30 and I know I got to wrap up my day early. I got to be home, be ready, be changed, and be all in to take my daughter out and spend that, that couple hours together with her. And nothing, that's like the most important business meeting in the world on the calendar, right? I don't miss it. It doesn't happen. I can't be late. My kids have ball games. I put those on my calendar. So I'm showing up and i have got my work day wrapped up. I'm there. I'm in the moment. I'm present now. And that guess what? Tension melts away. So it's not sitting at that ball game thinking about, oh, I wish I could be my phone sending this email right now, right? I stopped this to finish up at work. I've shut it down because I've been organized and planned. Yeah. So I've got that schedule. So I think part of it is self-imposed. Like we cause a lot of our own tension. We cause a lot of our own issues. And so things like time blocking, scheduling, and just being intentional really matters. You asked the question about, is it only on Saturdays? Not at all, right? That's what we called it because that was our family and that's how those Saturdays were our our anchor, but it became a lifestyle a mindset. It's every day of the week, right? So I get up early in the mornings to get in my, my devotional time, to get in my exercise and to be ready for when my family wakes up because I can't do, I won't get it done if it doesn't happen there in the morning, right? That's my time. Um, once they wake up, then man, it's like getting the kids ready for school, if they're in school right now in the summer, trying to figure things out, getting them off on their day. Um, and then when they come home, or I come home from work, then it's like, I want to be shut down and be there for my family and be present. Right. Dinner together, active dinner. So things like that are really important in scheduling it out.
1: Have you done any statistics or uh, anything on the percentage of kids without a father, say, in, in specifically like Nashville community? And if so... What's the first step in, let's say, if you were able to determine this random number, let's just say 20% of kids in the metropolitan national area that, that are fatherless or have a father figure that is not involved in their life, let's just say you, you got that number. What would be the first step that you or your company or organization would take in basically being there for those kids? So what does that look like? Yeah, so in practical
0: application, it looks like a couple of different things. First and foremost, um, I don't have a statistic specific on national. What I can tell you is there's 24 million kids in America that don't have a biological father living in the home. It's an epidemic. I mean, it's, it's massive proportions. That's They're,
1: not talking about that.
0: Not Not at all. I and mean, if you look specifically at different demographics, right, the African-American or black community by, by and large is exponentially greater in terms of the number of, of fatherless kids than other demographics. Um, why is that? That's a really big question. From my understanding and my experience and my research, it's a cultural issue um, and it's been perpetuated. So you have a lot of fathers having um, baby mamas, right? So they have multiple kids with multiple women. And so therefore, those kids grow up without a constant father figure in their life. And then many of those kids have kids at a young age as well and repeat that cycle. And ironically, interestingly, uh, a lot of the, the grandmothers, we'll call them, are the ones that are kind of waking up in that demographic right now. And these are 30 young 30s women who their, their kids have now gotten pregnant or having babies and repeating that cycle at a young age. And they're saying, this is wrong. we have got to stop this. This isn't right. So those are the ones that are waking up. But there are many great groups that are out there working on that. And we're one of them. But I think by and large, as a culture, There's two forms of fatherlessness. Everyone needs to understand that. There's a lack of a father in the home, but there's also the father who's there. He's physically present, but he's emotionally absent. That's also a form of fatherlessness. And so when you look at those numbers, it's it's huge. It is an epidemic, right? And so it goes back to what we talked about, work-life balance, things of that nature. What we do to solve that, first and foremost, is I believe the local church needs to be the catalyst for that, right? We're called to take care of widows and orphans. Those are widows and orphans. And so what that looks like is the local church, we encourage them to hold a daddy Saturday once a month. And they do an active service, a project together, and they have some epic fun. That's where dads can bring their kids. But we then ask the community, if you're a single mom, you bring your child into that event. So now they can be surrounded by other great men who are going to be positive influences on their life. We can get, help them bump up beside a father figure in a safe environment, right? Because safety is huge in that respect, there's other great mentor organizations, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, groups like that, the local YMCAs, things of that nature that have programs for mentorship that we can help plug kids into so they have that. Love encouraging kids to take part in sports or music or whatever their hobbies are where they can have a coach or a teacher or someone like that that can come beside them again in a safe environment that can help them grow. And then we're launching a program called Kid Boss, which will be a virtual program, but it's all helping kids become entrepreneurs. Learning the life changing business education, so that they can rise above that situation and have the ability to provide for themselves and for their families.
1: That's awesome. Have you looked at the statistics of, let's say, a kid that grew up with a dad in the home versus a kid who didn't, and their chances of success, if you want to call it that, or just you know getting where they want to go in life. So, yes, if you look at societal ills today, and by societal ills, I mean, if
0: you look at teenage pregnancy, if you look at drug abuse, if you look at suicide, depression, anxiety, prison time, even school shootings, every single one of those has an increased incidence, obesity, I mean, I can just go on, right? Every societal ill has an increased rate if you are a fatherless child. Is that it right? is that big of an issue. It is the number one epidemic in our country that no
1: one's talking about. That's insane. So, basically, if we, if we started trying to focus on that issue alone, and if the fathers aren't there by providing those kids a, a mentor or someone that they can go to lean on for a better example, to be a better example, to grow, or like you said, kid boss type thing, then you can shift to the entire industry or nation, really.
0: You can change the world, right? Yeah. And it all starts with the next generation because we are right now living in the largest fatherless generation that's ever existed. So the millennial, the millennial generations coming up right now as, as young, young parents and adults is the largest fatherless generation that's ever existed. And it's only being perpetuated downstream, right? So we have to end the cycle and the cycle starts with this next generation by helping them become engaged, intentional parents, helping the dads who aren't in the home come back and re-engage in the home, helping kids don't have a father figure in their life, establish a father figure and help the dads who are in the home be incredible dads, right? And then the thing I love and I encourage about dads who are in the home, is look beyond yourself. Find that single mom that's in your neighborhood or in your community or on the sports teams or whatever it is and pull their child in. Be that figure for that child if they don't have one, right? I know it's an extra responsibility, but it's so important. If we're going to make that change, we all have to step up collectively and do it. And I would, I would say this too. I think the marketplace needs to also make a shift and get interested in this. It needs to start with the church. It also needs to be done in the marketplace. And I would encourage the business leaders, the entrepreneurs, the executives listening to this podcast to say what can i do to make a difference in this capacity because it is it is a, a big challenge and for us in the in the marketplace right if we want to see successful productive young adults coming up as the next generation of workers of entrepreneurs of of corporate employees then this is a problem we need to solve
1: okay so two part question on the one is kind of, i just don't want to forget this one but the in terms of business leaders, entrepreneurs helping in this, is it better, do you think, and I guess one is maybe as important as the other, do you think that those leaders, including myself, I'm not a father, but is it better to throw maybe money at something or be physically involved in this? Do these kids need finances maybe more so? Well, I mean, I think human interaction is probably the most important thing, but is finances right next to it? And that's kind of one thing. And the second, just so we don't forget, I also want to ask you, if, if you think, you know, you were saying that this generation is going to be the largest fatherless generation, if you will, that we've ever seen. Do you feel that because of that, the world is maybe listening more? Maybe we're becoming more uh, aware of this? And is that a good thing?
0: So I answer the second question first and say, yes, awareness is rising. There are lots of groups out there like like my own we out there teaching this message and preaching this message from the rooftops. I think in the black community specifically, there's a lot of emphasis, a lot of conversation going, and I'm working with some incredible organizations that are really getting um, big notoriety. In fact, one of them was just on uh, with Oprah and the O network around Father's Day talking about this very issue and celebrating amazing black dads who are stepping up, right? So we're seeing a shift, and it is it, that is a great thing, but we've got a lot of work to do because we've dug a really deep hole yeah. right? because of the number of kids that have not had that. So it all starts with the next generation changing that. Um, father's staying in the home, father's being intentional, being engaged. So that's the answer to the first question or the second question. The first question, I would say that, um, I look at it in three different ways. There is, um, your time. That's the physical presence of being involved, whether you're a dad or not. I think there's ways you can give your time through the church or through local community organization, um, or even virtually, right? There's, there's still power in that. We live in a virtual society today. And the second is, is your partnership. Right, so there's lots of ways that corporations can partner in this space. This isn't about us. Like this is, I think, philanthropy in general. Right, finding a cause you're passionate about and finding creative ways to give. Like we've got an organization that has uh, about 80 retail locations, and they're expanding to about 300 retail locations, and they do rent-to-own type furniture. And so their model is, once that furniture is depreciated it can't be rented anymore, then what do they do with it? Right, they've written off the asset. Well, if that gets donated to our nonprofit. That is a very valuable asset for us. It really means nothing to them because they've already written it off. And we can go sell that asset. That becomes an economic stream for our industry. We've got another partners coming over to, our, to my home on, uh, in July who they give each one of their employees uh, five days a year to donate to a nonprofit. And they've got teams of skilled people that can build funnels and do marketing and do, build websites and do all the things I've got a whole team from their company coming to my house, donating the entire day.
1: So donating their service.
0: Donating their service, yeah. their expertise, right? Yeah. What they yeah. do in the corporate world, they're donating that to me as a nonprofit, right. right? So there's tons of creative ways that you can give back and like something most people don't think about, but they're taking a day of their time. It's a paid vacation day. They're given five a year in addition to all their vacation to go out and serve. And so they're, they were very fortunate or I'm very fortunate that they're coming to serve, you know, our organization. But there's lots of things that you like that you can do. So that's partnership. And then the third piece would be financial. I think you can give your tre- treasure. It's your time, your talent, your treasure. That's how I look at it. All three are important, but what's most meaningful for you? What can you give? And I know a lot of uh, executives and people like yourself don't have a lot of time. So that may not be something you could give, but you could potentially give your talent or your treasure. And that equally makes impact. And we need all three.
1: Makes sense. I'm curious what your take is on, and I've been thinking about this a lot, and just I watched a documentary the other day on Zieg there. He said something to the extent that his dad, growing up, his dad never told him he loved him. You know, his father was there. He knew he loved him, but it wasn't said. And it's kind of, I grew up in an Amish farm. You know, the, the, that's more so the Amish culture as well. And I know my parents love me tremendously. I have a phenomenal relationship with them to this day. What's your take on that style um, parenting, maybe, versus one that is just like, you know, they're, they're so involved, so very much like, you know, I love you, but you can't do anything wrong type kind of stuff, and where do you find the balance in that? Have you done any kind of research on if one is more harmful than the other? Does that make any sense?
0: It makes complete sense. And this is um, <laughs> I spend so much of my own time trying to figure this out in my own family. It's a lot of what I teach. Because it's it's a super important topic. And I think it's 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 an evolution, right? Like anything else, there, there are polar extremes. I don't think you should ever be on one of the extremes, right? right? Being an extremist in this case is not a good thing. So if you never say, I love you, if you never tell your kids you're proud of them, if you never tell your daughter she's beautiful, right, then that's going to create a void or a deficit. It's going to create a father wound in that capacity. If you're a helicopter parent and you won't let your kid do anything, you know, they're failing, you won't let them fail and you're protecting them and it's, well, it'll be so much and you're babying them, like that's a bad thing too in the other extreme. So how do you find that center point? And what I found is that um, borrowing a page from Donald Miller's book, we, in Storybrain, we talk about this in terms of parenting and say, it's not about being the hero to your kids, it's being their guide. And when you do that, you let your kids become the hero of their own story, meaning they can experience success or failure on their own with you there guiding them through that process. And failure is so important in, in that, so they can learn. You wanna see obstacles in your life. You want them to have resistance at a young age because failure at eight is way different than failure at 28. And if you've never failed at eight years old and you fail, start failing at 28, it's catastrophic. You have no mechanism of dealing with it. You don't know how to recover from it. And that's where suicide and depression and all the issues come in. And so when you also position yourself as the guide, and this is really, really, really important for dads that are in the home as well as for kids that don't have dads, is by being a guide, you lower your ego. You lower your pride. and You allow other men to come into your kids' lives that have expertise and can provide experiences that you can't. Like, I'm not a handy guy. You're you're an amazing handy guy. You own this construction company doing roofing, right? You can run circles around me in that capacity. I grew up throwing footballs and baseballs. I didn't grow up, you know, building things with my hands. I don't have that expertise. But my kids want me to build things all the time. Like they want obstacle courses in the backyard. They want all this stuff, and I'm like, guys, that is so far out of my scope. We've tried and I failed miserably. And it's always great they get laughs out of watching me fail. But I brought other men into my kids' lives who can do those things, right? Who could take them deep sea fishing when I, we'd be shipwrecked on an island somewhere if I took them out catching no fish. But they've been out had this amazing experience caught all these fish. And I, I was able to watch my kids through that process. So lowering your, your ego and your pride and becoming the guide allows that. And then finally, when your kids get older, they don't need a hero. You are your, their hero. You always will be your their dad. That's just, it's natural. But by being the guide, your kids, when they get older, they need a guide. They need major life decisions. They need counsel, right? They need someone to guide them through those big, big moments and probably to sit there and listen to them when they need it the most and that's why you positioning yourself as a guide early you assume that we're later on in life so that's my stance on it i think it's a it's it's an art though it's like how high do you let your kid climb in the tree right you don't want to let them get to the first you don't want to walk up to them and say oh don't climb the tree that's dangerous you might fall down before they even get on the tree which is what some parents do you also don't want to let them go to the top of the tree when they're going to fall off and potentially you know have a catastrophic mistake and so how do you find that that middle point and then if they get too high how do you then look at them and say something like, oh, man, come check this out. I think Matthew McConaughey just said this in a recent interview that he did. I loved it. It was like, hey, come check this out. This is so cool. You got to come see this. And the kid climbs down from the tree and comes over and sees it. <laughs> so you got them out of the tree before they hurt yeah. themselves without saying, hey, you might hurt yourself. It's yeah. also not what you want to do. Um, and I'll just give you a quick example of this because I think it's so powerful. So we, have a, we live on a farm. We've got a, a hill that's about a quarter of a mile from the top of our property under our mailbox. And it's um, about 400 feet of elevation. So the top, it's it's a, your legs are burning every time, no matter how good in shape you are. And every day before school, my kids walk that hill. We call it a driveway devotional. And we do a hard thing at the beginning of our day because life is hard. You're going to come up against obstacles. And so every day I help my kids overcome an obstacle at the beginning of their day. And it's mental as well as it's physical. And then on Wednesdays, we call it heavy day hump day. And they carry sandbags down and up the hill. It's to simulate right. that sometimes in life, Life gets real hard. Life gets real heavy. And we talk about what that means. And like, they are, I am seeing my kids thrive and excel. Like, my son's going through football conditioning right now, and he's, he's killing it.
1: They don't give you any kickback on this? Do they love it?
0: At first they gave kickback um, and now they just, they're ready to go and they walk out the door and they're like, dad, it's day, hump day. Let's go. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm hearing them say the things that we talk about, like growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Far more is caught than taught, right? How you do anything is how you do everything. I can give you a million one-liners of the things that we talk about in those moments and I'm seeing them in their life. I'm seeing them in their character. I'm seeing them do these things naturally. And it's from doing one small thing at the beginning of our day, it takes 10 minutes of my time. Right. So that's being a guide. That's the example, right? And so, for me, that's a big question. It's a big topic, but that's that's how I've approached it, and we've had success in it. Love
1: well, it. It's probably one of the coolest things I've ever heard as far as you know doing something that small. I have a little thing, I, uh, but it's it just well, I get out of bed in the morning. I do a hundred ups and hundred arm curls. It's just what I do, and it, it becomes a, a habit, and and it's it changes you. And so it just helps you get. There's days you want to get up, like you don't want to do it, but then you realize I can do this in ten minutes now. So it just—it's amazing that little ten-minute thing you talked about. How I can make a big impact in today's world of—I mean, social media. You have TikTok now, and knows what else kids have these days. How do you, as a parent, condition or program maybe your kid to realize that they can? they can literally create their own identity versus letting social media define what their identity is. Mm. Identity is a huge topic right now. And I think we have a fatherlessness crisis. We
0: also have an identity crisis in our country right now. Um, people don't know who they are. Um, those that are believers a lot of them don't know who God is, right? And they don't know what they're called to do. And those are three different challenges that we all need to face and uncover. I think with, with my kids, we work on a couple of things. So one is, um, they're not allowed to just be consumers. Got to be creators and content producers, right? So I want them. If they're going to be on technology, um, there are plenty of points where they consume it. But by and large, I want them creating content. So go out and be creative. Go film yourself with your GoPro. You know, riding your skateboard or on the basketball court or doing something fun, and then make a video out of that, or you know, use it in a positive light. And so we've we've done a lot of that. Um, we also have a rule in our house that it's got to be earned and not given. And so they have to earn using technology. They never can just wake up and go to sit on and watch TV. Like that doesn't happen. We don't have TV in our house. We have Apple TV or so they have to like, you know, engage. You know, they can't just sit there and flip channels. And so they have to read a book. They have to do their chores. They have to uh, exercise and do some physical, physical activity. And if they do those things, then they can earn the right to have technology. Um, and we can take technology away if we're not doing the other things. And so we've used it as a carrot and a stick mentality. towards very well in our house. And our kids have just become trained to that, right? Um, it's the same thing with what they eat. It's this for that. Like, There's all these things you can do with your kids that are really small things that can help them understand who their identity is. Like your body's a temple. It was given to you. Do you put junk in your body? Do you put good stuff in your body? What well, gives you energy? What's well, going to help you be productive in your day, right? Our kids don't do food diet. We cut that up years ago. And so, like, they want that bag of Doritos so bad. But now I watch them. They'll choose the plain baked Lay's instead. Right. And it's like so cool to watch that happen in their brains. And they know. And it's like, my dad's the weird guy. They will let us eat, you know, make us eat organic stuff all the time. But like they're, I'm training my kids to make those positive decisions. And that's what we have to do. Because uh, frankly, at a young age, our kids' prefrontal cortex is not developed. It's not developed until the early 20s. Right. So until they get out of my house, I got to be their surrogate prefrontal cortex and help them make the decisions that are best for them. And as a parent, it can be super annoying. It can be super hard. And, and man, it's, you got to be in the details and in the weeds. And I'm not talking about the helicopter type parent stuff. I'm talking about like helping your kids understand to think critically. And you got to help them think critically at a young age because they're not ready to make those decisions yeah. yet. And then as they get older, you start to see that evolve and you give them more rogue over time. So that that to me is helping them understand and find their identity because you're helping them build those character qualities that are what they're going to need long term to be successful in the world.
1: I think something that you said I've never thought of it this way, but instead of that can be so powerful. But instead of saying social media maybe in a sense is bad for you, you stay off of it. You're not telling them that because you know that's not going to work anyway. They're going to kids are going to get on it. but you're instead of changing that narrative of it's bad for, me, let's put something good out there. I love that. Never heard that
0: put quite that way. Hundred percent. I mean, half of my half of my role as dad is I call it distraction. So, like when your kids, like what my youngest kid, Easton, um, you still have a meltdown all the time. You know, especially when he's younger. And my number one role was like focus on distraction. How do I get him out of the mode that he's in and onto something else so that the meltdown will end? I think that's it runs true even with teenagers, right? It's like how do you move them from one thing to the other thing that's more a better choice, and more positive, but do it in a way you're not damaging the relationship and you're helping them make a positive choice and think critically. And with most kids, right? If you come at them and say, you shouldn't do that. What's the natural response? I'm going to do it. It's like, don't press this button. They want to press the button. It's the same thing. And so what I found is that if you can help move them away from that, it's better. The analogy we use often is like the teddy bear. This is great in sales. This works. This is a sales strategy, not only for your kids, but if you have a client or your child and they're holding their old ratty teddy bear, And you walk up to them and you rip it out of their hands, what are they going to do? They're going to scream and cry and be upset, right? So you took their favorite teddy bear. But if you walk up and you've got a brand new teddy bear, you say, hey, look at this teddy bear. Like yours, it it has this, but it has this feature and it has this and that. And you start to explain the features and benefits of your new teddy bear. And you slowly exchange the old teddy bear for the new teddy bear. They'll take it. And now you've got them holding that new teddy bear you want them to hold. And you've gotten rid of the old teddy bear, but you've done it in a way where you didn't break the relationship. Communication strong. And you've made that exchange. And so in sales, it works. It works with your kids, too.
1: So let's dive into your head. I'm interested in you do Spartan races, which is tough on its Mm -hmm. own. So how do you prepare mentally for a race like that? Uh, How do you what do you I'm interested in in how you take care of your body in preparation for that. Or do you do anything different for that? Or is it more so you Mm -hmm. just live the you, you kind of take care of, your, like I said, your body's a temple. You kind of eat the same foods all year. And then this race comes up and you just go do it. Or how, how does that look? Can you break down the mental mindset behind a race like that?
0: Yeah. So I used to, I mean, I've always been physically fit and active. Um, I've worked out for as long as I can remember. And oftentimes I found myself working out just for, frankly, to kind of vanity purposes. Right. I just want to be in shape and feel good and look good. Um, then I started doing Spartan races and I recognized that I had a goal. I had a, like that competitive nature came back out of me. I had something to work towards, but I also had to train very differently because it was, it was not just a physically most challenging thing I've ever done. It's a mentally most challenging thing I've ever done. So your question is great because I did have to not just change my physical regimen, but I had to change my mental regimen. So how do you get yourself ready? Because in a Spartan race, um, you've got three different distances, but the biggest distance 13.2 miles and 35 obstacles. And if you fail an obstacle, you have to do 30 burpees every time you fail an really? obstacle. Yeah, that's the, that's the penalty, right? And so just like in life. Like, 30
1: burpees? Yeah. And that's not, that's, that's, that's tough. That's one man. obstacle.
0: So you're running, right? How many obstacles are total? 30, 30 to 35 in the 13.2 miles. So like you mess up,
1: say, five obstacles,
0: you've done 150 burpees. <laughs> on top of running 13.2 miles, on top of doing 35 obstacles. Right? So, wow. so brutal. So your goal is you don't want to fail an obstacle. And so mentally though, you have to prepare yourself to say, okay, and just like in life, I come, I'm going to come up against obstacles and I've got to overcome this obstacle. I have to figure this out. Um, and there are obstacles that, that are very difficult. Some are easier, but then if you miss an obstacle and you have to do burpees, then like, you can't just sandbag and throw in the towel. It's like a golf shot, right? Like you have to move on to the next one. Cause if you sit there and languish on the fact that you just had to do 30 burpees, like you're done mentally in the race. And so, for me, I do three things. Um, every single day, I put myself in a, in a position to do something I don't want to do. Because in the race, you're going to come up against lots of things that you don't want to do physically because you're just like, you're just gassed. You're just more exhausted.
1: So than
0: you're you do your heel. Oh, yeah. You do so, something more so. so than that that 100%. Should. Right? So, in my workouts, I'm always going to push myself to do one more rep or to, when my body says stop, I go harder. I do more. Right? So, I'm physically pushing through a barrier or a limit. Because that's what what has to happen in a race. The second thing I do is I take cold showers every day. Um, It's miserable. I hate cold showers. It sucks every day, even in the summertime when it's warm outside. They're really bad in the winter. But I do it every single day and every single time I don't want to do it. Um, I floss my teeth at night because it's the last thing I do every day. My willpower is at its lowest. Um, I don't want to floss my teeth. I just want to go to bed. But I do floss my teeth. And it sounds silly and stupid. But little things like that, just mentally telling yourself, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. And it's the act of forcing yourself. That's the cold shower it has therapeutic benefits. But for me, it's more about that, that decision that I have to make within five seconds of turning that shower on to say, get in the shower and do that. Right. Because so I'm coming, I'm going to come up against that obstacle. And in the world championships, you're in Lake Tahoe on top of a mountain. And you have to get in water. That is basically like they broke the ice on it. You have to swim around a buoy. But the last time I did it, I had hypothermia. So like, yeah, I'm going to have to do this in reality in a race. So if I can't step in a cold shower for 30 seconds to 45 seconds and get a shower, how am I going to do that in a real race? So it's putting yourself in those mindsets because here's why this matters because you create mental pathways in your mind, right? So my kids, we built a new pool in our previous home and put in brand new sod and they ran back and forth and back and forth on the same track between the house and the pool and they wore out all my sod. It became a dirt track. And I was so mad. And I'm like, can you guys move six inches from side to side every once in a while and save my grass? But the same thing happens in your mind. If you tell yourself negative things, if you get complacent, then that track forms in your brain. Those neurotransmitters connect. But if you push yourself through hard things and you give resistance and you overcome obstacles, the same pathway forms in your brain in a positive light, right? And so that's what that preconditioning does for me. So when I get into race day, I've simulated that every single day up to a race. So naturally, my mind just goes into that mode. The last thing is... You have to draw back on your previous experiences. So I've already done Spartan races, right? I've done a very difficult Spartan race in the world championships and pushed myself to my limits. And so now when I do a race, I can go, I've done this. I can do that. And I try to simulate that every day as well. So
1: meaning you've done the same thing
0: prior. I've conquered something really hard in life. It doesn't matter if it's the same
1: thing or a different thing. It's just, you know, that you came to a pivotal point where your mind said, I don't want to go there. And you did.
0: Yes. I push myself to do something that was very hard to do. I've done hard things. If I've done that hard thing, I can do this hard thing that I'm doing now, right? And that, man, for kids, oh, my gosh. If you can give them that gift, it's huge. And, and I'll, give a, I'll give a scripture reference for this. I think it's really important. And I, I tell young kids this. They do Spartan races. It's about um, having a David moment. So it's David and Goliath, most people are familiar with that story. David's going to kill Goliath. And King Saul says, you're a kid. You can't kill this giant. He's huge. David goes, oh man, come check out my tent. I got a lion's mane and a bear claw on my tent. I've killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. I can kill this giant. He's nothing, right? And so David went back to that previous experience and said, I did this, therefore I can do that. And that's the same thing with Spartan Race. It's the same thing that every day, putting myself in positions to say, I've done this, therefore I can do that.
1: Do you think it's possible to basically instill that mindset in a child or... Is, is that, is your mind maybe ready to grab that once you have more experiences in life or things like that? I, and I've never really given that thought until now, but I'm curious.
0: hundred percent you do with kids. We do intensives on our farm for fatherless kids. And, um, I had, a, a brothers come in and one brother was pretty much in shape. He's playing football, runs track, plays basketball. The other brother plays video games on the couch all the time, does nothing, is overweight. And um, one of our challenges was I was going to do a mini spark race on our farm. So, you had to run 3.2 miles. they had to do 20 obstacles. And um, the, the younger brother that was out of shape looks at me and he goes, I've never run more than a mile in my entire life. He's 13 years old. And I said, well, that's cool because you're about to run 3.2 miles and do 20 obstacles.
1: Probably over hills and whatnot,
0: too. Yes. And it's rough terrain and it's over hills. And, I mean, it's, it's a lot. Wow. And he's like, I, I, there's no way. And I'm like, well, fix mindset versus growth mindset. Don't ever tell yourself you can't. You say, I will finish. The whole time you do this, you're going to say, I will finish. I will die before, before I quit. Right? Like you're saying that out loud to yourself. And then the other rule was, look, I don't care if you're walking. You just have to keep moving. You just do not stop. That's the only rule that I have. Don't stop. Just keep moving forward. And it took him forever. It took him like three hours to do the whole thing. But he finished it. He did it. And we got done. And you should have seen the smile on his face. And like, I, it still gives me chills to think about it because I'm like, that kid now has that lion's mane, that bear claw moment that he draw back on the rest of his life. He can say, I never moved more than a mile in my life. And I just did 3.2 plus 20 obstacles. And I conquered that. Right. And so he, his mind is capable of, far, or his body, I'm sorry, is capable of far more than what his mind allowed. And we're all like that. that's what Spartan does. It shows you that your body is capable of far more than your mind. So for kids, I think that's really critical. And physical fitness, physical work for me is the easiest way to demonstrate that, right? Define that. So I think it is 100% possible and needs to start with every kid at a young age.
1: Do you feel it's possible if you can conquer that in a physical workout, whether it's running, whatever, that that will also lead into your business and other things in life? hundred percent. I mean, my kids, it's right for the, the kids. It's in school. They're going to come up against that in
0: life. And I'm training them to be productive, successful adults because the world's hard. Right? Life is hard. And so for all of us in life, we're going to come up against obstacles every single day. And so when do you face an obstacle? What do you do? Do you see an obstacle or do you see opportunity? Right? Do you go around it? Do you go over it? Or do you run through it? Right? Or do you retreat from it and go the other way? And so, you know, there's plenty of times in, in my life and my career that I've had those and I still have them every single day. And the, the mentality that I have living a Spartan lifestyle is, you know, I will figure out a way to overcome that obstacle. And I will make, there isn't, every obstacle is just an opportunity. And it's an opportunity for me to grow, push myself to experience something new, to overcome something I haven't overcome before. I don't ever see them like as a negative thing
1: anymore. So in the same way, if you have a tough business division, you can think back to that that lion, that bear, if you will, and say, well, you know what? I was about to do this Spartan course and it was tough and I made it through that. So I'm going
0: to get it through this. 100%. And I think also looking at your business track record, right? You probably, how many business decisions have you made that have been difficult? And looking at it and going, is this one that unique or isolated? No. Like I've done this before. I've done it successfully. I've done it. Or I didn't do it well and I failed. What did I learn from that? It's going to pour into this one. So, I think, you know, again, it's those experiences. And for, for young, that's why it's so important for young kids to have those moments, even if it's not related to business, because they need to understand what it's like to fail, what it's like to overcome obstacles, and also have that success on the other side of it, so that when they get into the business world, in the real world, they know how to deal with that. You've built that resiliency. Resilient kids are what's going to change the next generation. That's one way to do it.
1: Wow. Okay, so if you were, just trying to wrap this up here, you know, if, if you were given the world stage, entire world is watching. You have five minutes to let the world know who Justin Batt is, what Justin Bat believes is most important in the world. What do you think the world needs to hear? I would say the world needs to hear the fact that the
0: breakdown of the family and the lack of a father in the family is the biggest epidemic in our world today. And that we collectively need to work together to create education and experiences to end the cycle of fatherlessness And, um, there are many organizations like mine that are out there doing this work and that um, it needs to be pulled to the forefront. And we need investment of time, talent, and treasure to make this impact in this next generation to change the future of our world and to end the cycle of fatherlessness. And if we do that, then we will live in a more productive, successful, happy society and we'll change the generations to come.
1: So this podcast is called The Ultimate Shift. If you had to think back in your life does one time stand out that you would consider it as the ultimate shift in your life that maybe shifted you into a different mindset, different business uh, level, and and what was that?
0: So, I'll, I'll give you two. One was in my role as a parent, and it was that, that lightning bolt moment that I had where we had done a Daddy Saturday, and we were exhausted. And there were toys all over the yard. I mean, like our toys and the remnants of our Daddy Saturday activities everywhere. And my kids were exhausted. I was exhausted. They were inside watching a show because we had a full day together. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I out here doing this? That's why I had four kids. They so could help pick up and do stuff like this. And every toy I bent down, my back hurts and I'm tired and I'm picking it up. I'm getting more frustrated. And that's where I had that shift. And it was like, are your kids a blessing or a burden? Are they an inconvenience or an assignment? Each one of these toys, you can look at it like it's a burden or it can be a blessing a reminder of the day that you just have with your kids, the epic day you just had with your kids, the investment you just made with your kids. And that mindset shift is what sent me on the track to say, you know what? Like, I want to be this incredible dad that's intentional, that's engaged. That creates these epic moments for his kids and that builds a legacy. So they look back and go, man, I want to hang out with my dad when I have the option to hang out with him, right? because we have that level of relationship and I want to pour into my kids that way. So that was a big shift for me personally. Uh, professionally I would say the shift was when I was standing in an airport at five in the morning getting ready to fly to the East coast for my corporate job. And I saw this gentleman, um, they called the, you know, the, the diamond platinum member or whatever for the airline. And this guy gets up in a suit and he was younger and he was like, so proud of his status. And He was like the first guy in the plane. You just see, he was exuding this like this ego of like I'm the guy I'm in diamond status. And literally, in my head, like I want to throw up. And I just said, that's not the status that I want. I want the status of bedtime stories and baseball games. I want the status of being able to work for myself and create my own schedule and not and travel when I want to travel, where I want to travel, and not have to travel because it's my corporate responsibility. And that shift in my head changed everything because it just gave me that perspective to say, I don't want that. Not that that's bad. I'm not saying it's bad to have status or to travel. Like people do that for work all the time and do it successfully. But for me personally, that was the big shift to say, I need to figure out a different path in my career so that I can achieve the level of status that I want that's most important to me. I like it. Last question.
1: If someone said to you, Justin, I want to make that shift in my life is stuck. Maybe it's the couch. Maybe it's a uh, rut at work. Um, they want to. They they just want one change, one thing of glimmer of hope that their life is going to or can not get better. What would you say to them?
0: I would say that the power of the spoken word is the most important thing that someone like that can can pour over themselves. So assess what you're saying to yourself and who's saying it. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What are you saying about yourself when you look in the mirror? Are you saying I'm lazy because I'm on the couch? Are you saying I'm unproductive at work or whatever that looks like? What are you saying to yourself or who's saying that? And analyze that because that's not who you are. That's not what you were built to be. That's not honoring your calling and what you were given. And so I think assessing that's really important. And then the power of the spoken word, what are you saying over yourself? Are you saying, I can't, I won't we're in our families? No, try only do. So my kids will never say, I'll try Dad." No, just do it. Like, don't try, do it. You can do it, Right. The word can't doesn't exist. So what are you speaking over yourself? Is it negative? And change your vocabulary. Speak positively over yourself and watch what happens. It'll change your whole physiology. I mean, right on your mirror, smile more. Smile at yourself in the mirror. sounds cheesy. It'll change your whole outlook on life just by smiling in the mirror. Get up and do 100 push-ups, right? Drink a glass of water in the morning. Make your bed. Like small things like that can change everything. So it doesn't take a lot. Takes a little bit and start small. And I would say the power of the spoken word is a critical skill set for people in that position.
1: it. Okay. well, so so Daddy Saturday has been number one on Amazon as a bestseller. So how can people find? I guess they can find the book on Amazon. Do you have a website? How do you how do your artists find you? How can they follow you? Connect with everything that you have going on from your your non to this whole. You have a Daddy Saturday Instagram, I think.
0: Yeah. So we're on all social media. So you can find us there at Daddy Saturday or at The Daddy Saturday. Just look for the DS logo. Uh, but the main site is DaddySaturday.com. It's the hub for all things Daddy Saturday. You can learn more. You can get involved. You can find lots of resources. Uh, you can give to the, the foundation if you want to and support the projects that we have going on there as well. And then you can find me at Justin Bat on LinkedIn. That's where most people contact me directly.
1: Perfect. Well, I just want to acknowledge you for... Taking your time today to come and share your story, a credible story. I've been inspired. Um, I'll be listening to this and I'll be thinking about this when I'm trying to put another couple of miles on my evening run and I want to stop. So I'm definitely going to think back to what you said about thinking I've done a half marathon, a marathon before. So I can think back to that. So yeah,
0: we've got a Spartan race here in October in Nashville. Let's get you signed um, up.
1: Don't, don't tempt me with a good time. I don't know. i have to look into that. I, I was asking Abby before, I was like, what is actually all in Spartan racing? And we start talking about it. It's it's incredible. I think I can do it. I've learned I can do anything I set my mind to, but so you it's, can do it. it's just getting your, your brain to, to agree with. <laughs> well I appreciate your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure for me. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me on. My pleasure as well. Thanks again for tuning in to the ultimate shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at Ephraim Glick. Dot .com see you next time